Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Hollerbach. This is episode three, 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 with one of my best friends in the world, who I don't even care that she's an hour 47 minutes late. I don't care. I am living in Geneva Joy, her world. She's the first lady of Young Funny, one of my best friends, Geneva Joy Hughes. How are you? Hi, Eric. How are you? Every time I wait. wait. I, I feel like mate what? is part of my brand. So, like, don't, or as I like to tell people, keep your colonialism off my schedule. No, and I'm just paying reparations and waiting for Geneva to put her lipstick on and get her right bra going. Time <laughs> reparations. You rush my people for centuries. <laughs> I get there when I get there. <laughs> but when she turned on the camera, what a vision. The lipstick, the outfit. Um, so I love when I hear things about my friends from other people that I already know. But it warms my heart. I was just in New Orleans uh, October 25th to 28th. And then I was in Lafayette at the Verse Beer Garden. And then, um, but I did a Kermit Ruffins, Bodies and Throats, and I forget what the host's name is, but she said, well, oh, Dirty Mouth. Who? Dirty Mouth. Dirty Mouth. No, no, uh, the, it wasn't Dirty Mouth, it was an, the MC. Oh, Cheetah. Cheetah. That's her. So she says, oh, you know, Geneva, she's my best friend. I go, why? Oh, she's my best friend, too. I'm jealous. What do you mean? And she goes, well... She goes, what's your favorite thing in the world? And she goes, I love sandwiches. I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I love tuna fish sandwiches. What was the other sandwich, Geneva? Um, roast beef. Oh, yeah. Uh, peanut butter and jelly. And I think it was like tuna or something. Yeah, yeah. Three sandwiches. Okay. Yeah. So you showed up with the effing sandwich station. You set it up at her birthday, and you were just there. Given sandwiches, whatever people wanted, well, those three choices, uh, to all the guests, adding to the community, adding to the community, just for someone's birthday. Peter told me her birthday was coming up, and I was like, what's your favorite thing to eat? Like, thinking I'll, I'll take her out for her birthday. And she said, sandwiches, and I almost crashed. We were driving. I almost crashed, because that's the funniest thing in the world. Like, what do you mean, sandwiches? Like, that's not a favorite food. That's a category. She's like, no, I just love sandwiches. And she went on and on and on. So, like, the inner Martha Stewart in me was like, all right, bet. We're going to make her a sandwich bar. We had the Foreman Grill out there. We had stuff for ice cream sandwiches. It was it was epic. But I was born on Martha Stewart's 39th birthday, so I feel compelled to do these type of things. Wow. Martha Stewart, uh, she changed my produce management. When I get food from the grocery store, I wash it because she showed me how to be obsessive compulsive. And then what you do is you wrap it in dish cloths, like my produce, like my lettuce and stuff like that. I wrap it in dish cloth, and then it stays, and then it's dry and cold, and then it lasts for months, like a, a head of lettuce. You know, maybe not. You months. gotta take it to the next level. You gotta get an arrow garden now. Oh, a, a what? Arrow garden. I'm waiting for my new seeds to come. It's like this hydroponic tabletop garden, and it just grows like lettuce and stuff. So I got it on a whim. Somebody was like, what do you want for Christmas? I was like, that looks cool, and they got it. I didn't expect them to get it, my mom. And you put these seed pods in there, and you just keep changing the water and adding, like, the seed to it. And then, like, you can grow lettuce, peppers, um, flowers, herbs, greens. And I thought, like, once it grows and you harvest it, you start over. No, it just keeps growing for, like, six months. Like, like I didn't even know lettuce could have a stalk. 
<laughs> like it's too much almost, but I'm obsessed with it. Um, so I was stalking you on your Facebook wall this week, uh, getting, uh, you know, information, things I already know. Geneva Joy's a credit to our community. Queenie Evans wrote on your wall, y'all, Geneva Joy has bullied me into having a beignet to the point she actually just... A beignet? You think that's a beignet? A a bidet. Oh, that's a bidet. A bidet. To the point where she actually just bought me one. Wow, that raises the stakes. Because she really cares about her friend's bathroom habits. And I've been using it, and it's been nice, I guess. Once you get over cold water splashing on your tush, it's not that bad. But it's not something I just have to have, right? I mean, wiping works well, too. Well, it seems I've sprained something in my dormant arm, and I'm unable to extend it or otherwise flex it. And yeah, thanks, Geneva. You were right. Wow, so she's having trouble wiping herself, and then you got her a... A beignet? No, a bidet. I want to I wanna know why you thought a beignet had something to do with her wife or herself. Like, I just, like, Because of digestion. It goes in and then it poops. I just read beignet and tush and Geneva's helping people. And then I, I, <laughs> I smoke a lot it's of a pot. Smoke, you are here I smoke pot out of okay, there. So I'm retarded. I had a very short-lived show. Um, at the Hi Ho. I think I only did one and then I forgot to play another one and we just never did it again. But it was called Geneva's Comedy Telethon. And it was the premise is, is to raise money for comedians to get stuff they can't afford. Nothing serious. Not like MS research or or like like none of that. Like this is a very blatant thing to get comedians money for weird shit. So like what happened was this is at the time that Kamari Stevens and them got a bidet. And all the comics were talking. I think you might have just left, actually. All the comics, like, backstage, outside, for, like, two weeks, all they could talk about was bidets. Because they got a bidet, and then I think um, probably, like, Lane or somebody else got a bidet. And that was all all the comics talked about offstage were bidets. Like, well, how does it work? Where'd you get it? What is that? Have you used one before? And so, like, I was like, I want a bidet. I had come up with this concept. And so I put on my first show at Hi-Ho, and I... I'm, I oh I Facebook messaged the company that Kamari and them they had Lux Bidet they're still my sponsors in my heart and I was like hey I'm doing this show the premise is comedians of New Orleans want bidets and I was hoping they were like well here's a promo code or a coupon or something like that and they was like well how many bidets do you need and I was like eight and they was like no problem what's your address and they sent me eight bidets whoa so every, <laughs> every comic on the show got a bidet. And then one lucky person in the audience won a bidet. And because it was bidet theme, we had like a whole French theme. And so that made like eight more comics. And this random lady from the Midwest that happened to be in New Orleans that night left with a bidet from a dive bar. And and then all the other comics went out and got them. So like collectively, New Orleans has the cleanest booty holes in the whole comedy world. Just, Whoa. It's the standard of our comedy. I should have. to another level. Man, if I'd known that, I would have been taking more chances down there. I would have been eating booties left, right, and center. <laughs> but Queenie's my friend, and I and I had to live with her for a minute when I was looking for a new apartment. And I was like, we can't live like this. We need the days in this house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I got her one. I made her have one. Um, 
Well, it's what a great story. And what a good, like, you know, there's comics out there. They're not really good at organizing. They're not like promotion goddesses. Like, you've worked in promotions for companies for years. Um, so you're like, let's just put this together. Let's get free swag. Let's give it out. And let's uh, promote. Like, that's good for promotion. It's good for that bidet company to get all that press. It's good for the comics to get clean booty holes. And then it's clean. You know what I mean? It's a win for I'm everybody. I'm going to bring that show back. I'm going to have to bring back Comedy Telephone. Well, also, What's like... something you want? I would say vacuums. If I've been to enough comic houses, I would say the number one thing they need is an operating fucking vacuum. The robot ones, because none of us are very domesticated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Nice Comedy Telephone. We're doing robots. When are you coming back to New Orleans? Uh, not on the books at the moment. I'm probably going to Denver in the summer, and then I'm, you know... Um, Anyway, let's talk about Geneva's Facebook wall that I barely read the other day, obviously. Final dating perspective. Men do what they want. There is no need for a woman to try to persuade or wait, God forbid, beg a man to do anything. He will do what he wants to do for who he wants, what he wants, for whatever reason he says fit. He doesn't have to do X because he doesn't want to. It has nothing to do with the woman she doesn't lack worth. She doesn't need to, treat, need to try harder. She doesn't need to teach him how. They just aren't a match. Carry on, sis. Who? Okay, don't say who this is. But what situation are you talking about? Some, some lady was trying to pressure some guy. Well, maybe I could just brainwash him to do my bidding at all times, you know? This has to do with... Dating in Black America, it's it's hard out here. Like black men and black women outnumber black men. Then there's a bunch of socio-political, historical things in play, and it's real out here. And for a very long time, I thought that if a man wasn't doing what I wanted, it had something to do with me. Like I wasn't good enough, I wasn't deserving enough. And you hear this echo when you talk to other black women, and then, like something just dawned on me recently. Like that's not how men operate. And we don't know. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So, like, a man's going to just do whatever he wants. It's because you guys get a little bit more freedom about things where a woman might be more persuaded to go against what she really wants because it's the right thing to do or because it's for kids or for family or she thinks on the back end she's going to get what she wants. Like, men are just socialized different. And it's not even a bad thing. As you can see in that thread, a couple of men got really, like, um, defensive. When I didn't say it was a bad thing, it's just the truth. Like, if a man is with, has a family and wants to be with another woman, he's just going to do it. Like, he's going to do it, and you see it. Or if a man really loves a woman despite her not being um, the best type of woman everybody says or what society says, he's still going to be with her. He's going to do whatever. He's going to buy you a coat and, or trick off with you, as they say, or, or buy you diamonds if he wants to. Or he's never going to buy you a cheeseburger if he wants to. Like, it's all about what he wants to do. And we spend so much time as women, especially black women, trying to manipulate that or fight the current. And I, and I got into the point where I was like, that's not how it works anymore. So, like, if he show up, cool. If he don't, cool. If he overshow, cool. It's whatever. Like, focusing on myself and letting a guy do whatever. Because, like, I'm not, I can't fit into... Years ago, I was younger. I was, like, in my 20s. And one of my friends told me her secret to dealing with men. And she was like, oh, when you go on a date, you don't order a lot of food, you don't say a lot, you just let him talk and you just be real pleasant. He would say something stupid. Or if you go to his house, 
I don't care if you watch the Titanic, which is three hours long, you sit on the edge of the couch, never get comfortable. She gave me all these rules. And then eventually I was like, all right, I'm going to do it her way. Turns out she was a lesbian this whole time, but whatever. Um, she's, she's one of my closest friends. Um, but like, I was going out with like, I had like two guys I was seeing at the time. And one of them, this guy, you know how much I love African men, tall African man, really nice. I noticed on like our fourth date, he was saying goodbye to me. He was holding my hand and he kind of did like this. And I was like, oh, he's sizing me up. Like he's done. He's putting a ring on it. It's over. Right, but like he didn't know me at all. Like all the bingo, all the funny stuff, all the, like he didn't know me at all. And I was just like, I can't live, I can't keep that up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't do it. So I think I just ghosted him. I don't know. But like, he was willing to do whatever. It, it's a whole long thing. So like, I can't change who I am unless this is like a real flaw. I'm not going to change who I am in hopes that I can get a guy to behave the way I want. That's what all of that was about. I went on a tangent. Stop letting me do that. No, so you're saying like he was, he was all about Geneva, the perfect man for you, tall, dark, and handsome, just like you like, but when but he wasn't because he hadn't met me. Oh, wait! I thought he was touching your finger. I was there, but I was just <laughs> like that was it. That's all he got for me. That was enough. <laughs> And I was like, I can't. You only like, he doesn't out. know I need a robot back then. What? He's probably you... taking my house. <laughs> I don't know what he wanted, but it was scary when I thought about it. <laughs> Your guards are up. You, you know, you got castle walls up, Geneva. You just got a scammed email. Like, people are, you know what I mean? So you're, you're street savvy, and you got right. your guard up. What was that email what about, else? Geneva? Huh? You almost got scammed today. I, I did, because... Some scammer man out there is doing what he wants, and I have to just be fair that this is what they want. They want to scam me. I don't want to get scammed. I go the other way. But I'm you trying have... to convince the scammer to not scam me or scam me differently. Mm. Like that's what they want. This is what I want. Mm. Like that. Just... And then one day somebody will want the same thing. Like somebody will want to scam me in a way that I want to be scammed. I'm really caught in this metaphor right now. I need to. <laughs> Someone wants sandwiches for their birthday. You just go along with that river. That's the river right. of life. Don't don't show up. She's like, I love sandwiches. I love sandwiches. And then you show up with like, you know, French fries and uh, fried catfish. It's like, what the fuck? Right. You know what I mean? And if I oh. did that, and then she would have made a sandwich, I would be mad. That's literally relationships. Yeah. She's telling you what you want. You provided it. Maybe you're a lesbian. You provide nice things for your... I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Sorry. <laughs> I got to call your, uh, your lesbian friend for lady advice. But anyway... Um, oh, she's a pimp. Oh, yeah? Keita got the game. Keita with the cues. Keita with the game. But mm. she's a pimp for everybody. Like, she'll pimp anybody. Don't get close. <laughs> <laughs> this is the scam email. Take it where you want. <laughs> Dude, I'm such a guppy. When I get hooked on a line, it's over. I I'm just like, what do you want? You want me to drive you to work? You want me to... Uh, cook your breakfast in the morning. I'll, I'll cut your toenails. I'll, I'll eat ass. I'll suck toes. Like I'm just like I got a low self esteem, Geneva. That's what I'm saying. I need but no, love. You want to do those things, and it's okay. That's what I'm saying. You know what I want? I want to be a cruise comedian, and um, I want to. <laughs> so you have uh, this big uh, fascination with fast food in different areas, and I saw this video where you said that in the Bahamas, all the KFCs are like dope. So you go all the way to Cacao, 
a small island in the Caribbean, and you made this uh, video. And how, you know, first of all, cruise comedian, you know. That's my first one. That's my first one. What a great and thing. I would love to be a resort comic. People always shit on cruise comics. They go, oh, they're just on the boat. You get to fucking travel. You get to do your stand-up to shows. You know, who cares? It's a couple It's a couple months out of, a month out at sea, then you go home. What's wrong with that? No, I was only on that boat for a week. It's a cool. week? Oh, okay. Oh, where'd you go? Hello? Sorry. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. I, I'm going to, okay. I'll resume now. You good? Looks good. Yes. Recording in progress. Um, so my mom called me and I tried to cancel it. My bad. Okay, recording. Okay. Um, so what, uh, how was your experience at, on the cruise? It was great. I was only on it for a week. I don't want to like live on a cruise ship. It was my first cruise. So like the water was a bit much and I spent most of my money on, um, the alcohol package, which was a bad idea, but <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was a gay cruise. So every night there was like costume parties and you know how much I love costuming. Um, I brought a friend along for free. It was really, it was a really cool experience. I met some great people. Um, I told my horrible Icantina joke and Mary Lou Henner from TV's Taxi was in it and she liked it. So like I got kind of, I got some invites to perform in New York City. Um, I fell on stage, but people liked it. You fell? It's, yes, I fell. Was the boat rocking? The boat was rocking, and I had on platform hill. <laughs> and I was doing. Have you ever seen me do my little pineapple princess number? I'm not sure. Yeah, y'all never came to see me. I do it at Jeff D's Comedy Cabaret on Bourbon Street. Oh, okay. It's a drag show. So yeah, I yeah, do I've done that. Drag number. At Oz, right? Yeah. Huh? At Oz. At Oz, yeah. Yeah, I've done that gig. Yeah, so I, I do my own little drag number. And I was doing it, and I caught myself, like, working the stage, and the boat was like, shoot, and I was like, wow. Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> uh, that must be nice. It was a lot of fun. You, you... And I want to start doing resorts so I can, like, travel more, mm. but maybe without the boat part. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't need the boat part. Um, but how was the uh, KFC in Kakurau? And what was behind that? Because I know you like food taste testing. You know? I do. I love doing like mukbangs and things like that. So like I have a lot, like I've never been to the Caribbean, although I had a lot of Caribbean in me. Get it? Wink. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tall, dark, and handsome. <laughs> right, right. So the legend is, they always say, oh, like as soon as I get to Jamaica, as soon as I get to Antigua, I go right to KFC. And they talk about how KFC is so much better in the Caribbean. And I was telling that to the fellow comic, um, Gene Moore, and my friend that was with me. They're like, we, I got to try KFC. So when we were going to the place where they make the blue Curacao, we were doing a distillery tour. That was so much fun. That's literally all we did at Curacao, and I loved it. I was like, I got to get back. That was so much fun. Um, there was a KFC down the road, and I was like, y'all, we're hungry. Let's go to KFC. And they were ignoring me, but I kept, I persisted. I persisted. Um, and so we wound up, like, stopping in there and getting it. As you can see on the video, like, it was the cleanest. Did you see the picture of how clean it was in there? Uh, I thought I just saw you outside. Uh, maybe I didn't see the whole video. I saw you it. You didn't though. watch the whole video. Horrible. Horrible. Is it a bidet? Or bidet? Would not like this. She would not be okay with this lack of preparation. Um, 
This lack of preparation. Okay. But you should have watched the whole video. I watched the. I saw. I wanted to see the taste test. I wanted to see the results. Maybe there was an after part I didn't see. You got to. So like it was so clean in there. Like I've never seen a restaurant that clean before. Not even a fancy one. And then like they made the food so well. Like it had. It was cooked all the way through. It was juicy. It was flavorful. The gravy was like, like from here, like seasoned properly. Like they even had like the special like cheese flan like a cheesecake flan and then they had this this soda that's like some type of floral like rose water hibiscus soda i don't know that wasn't regular kfc that wasn't some lady throwing chicken out out of the side of a window yeah yeah half person you out that's not even cooked all the way through it was delicious <laughs> i don't even i don't even get like fast food chicken but man next level it was great sorry hey uh, listen, I live in your world. I'm paying reparations to you. Um, on your Facebook wall, you wrote, My Aunt Charlotte just said, Yeah, you just call Amazon and they send it to your house. Does your Aunt Charlotte know know how to... How socialized is she in modern society, your Aunt Charlotte? She's not, she's not at all. I think my aunt is like 65, 66 or something like that. But like, but she a hustler. Like back in the day, she ruled the world. So like, it's whatever. She's not even that old. She just doesn't care to learn technology. Right, right. And she was like, call Amazon and have them send me. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you just call them, don't you? And then they send you whatever. And she doesn't. I set her up with Instacart now, so that's the thing. And she just likes to argue about her tomatoes, but she doesn't know how Amazon works and she doesn't care because me or her sons or her grandkids is going to fix it. But she's not even that old though. Like she's still out in these streets, but she doesn't care about technology. But she was serious. <laughs> it's so funny. My, uh, I go to Ricky Lord's boxing gym every day. He's 68. He is fit as a fiddle. When I try to do his workout, like he, he teaches class and he does all these sit-ups and shit, I'm 36. He's 68. I cannot do what he does. I ta- like 20 minutes in, he's like does like 300 push-ups with his leg in the air. And I'm like, ugh, you know what I mean? Um, I like how you call a sit-up push-ups. No, you sit can't up. do it. Okay, can't whatever, sit up. <laughs> Sorry, I smoke a lot of pot this morning. Um, so the nurse... Um, of aliens. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you see this guy? The, the uh, old folks home keeps calling him. And at the boxing gym, and he, he keeps going, like, he has, like, only a landline. He doesn't have a cell phone. And so the they're like, old folks home, boy, you're old. He's like, I will beat the shit out of you if you come over here. He hangs up. He gets so mad. But I love that, dude. Oh, he no. is old school. Does he have family? Yeah, yeah. His son works with him. Mm-hmm. Okay. You guys, what, did you see that horrible movie? What horrible movie? How, how are your parents? I, I, I haven't seen How are your parents? They're okay. My dad visited me in Austin twice, and I visited my mom in Florida. She had a hysterectomy, so I went to go cook for her uh, over the summer sometime. Yeah. No, I, I, I asked about him and your parents because did you see that horrible movie on Netflix no, called I, um, I Care A Lot? It's about this lady who goes around taking advantage of old people, especially if they don't have family nearby, by becoming their guardian. Because she works with like a crooked judge or a dumb judge and crooked doctors. So like somebody will show up at your mom's house, like, ma'am, I've been awarded guardianship because you can't take care of yourself. Your mom's like, What what are you talking about? They're like, Don't let's go sort it out. But then they take her to sort it out and they drug her 
and then you go to try to find her and the nursing home will let you in and they sold all her stuff. It's horrible. Mm, mm. Like that nursing home is probably predatory. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it freaks sad. me out. Like I, I, I told my mom, like, like and my mom is together, my aunt is together, but like it just so freaks me out how they trip people up so they can steal their property and their stuff. Yeah. No, we yeah. call each other, so we make sure we're okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm in touch with them. I think they're okay, but... You know, my mom's in Florida, my dad's in Jersey, so, you know, but we, we're, we're in contact. <laughs> um, oh, I want to tell you a story, but um, this one, uh, uh, I've been training this girl, and uh, who's like 20, and uh, like from zero to now she's... Training her to do what? Box. And this guy came in, and she's very unassuming. This guy came in and he said he took a fight, so he wants to train with us. So he's like, I've never sparred before. I'm like, you've never sparred before and you have a fight in a month? So I put her in, I put him in the, this 300 pound guy who's like all this bravado. I put her, her in the ring with him and she beat the living shit out of him and I was so proud. And I kept whispering in, your, in her ear. I was like, you just beat up a grown man. You could have taken his money. You could have robbed, like, and, you just, do you understand off the street you can beat up a 300 pound man? And she's like, you know, and I was like so proud. It was unbelievable. you're making her a criminal. Like, I made her, I made her into an assassin. <laughs> and I was so proud of her. And she, he could. Professional? <laughs> he could do nothing. He would go like this. She would slip body punch. And he was like, ow, ow. And he's like, <laughs> I'm like, you took a fight. <laughs> you took a fight? Like, and he's a heavyweight class. So, you know what I mean? I'm like, you took like a fight. Who comes like to your open mic? He's like, so I got a show that I'm starting. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of those shows. Anyone who's nice to me for three minutes and books me, and then I go to their show and it's just like so awful. And it's like, you know what I mean? You've done those shows before. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a lot of that. There's so many shows right now. Yeah. Like, in, in the city. Like, okay. All right. All right. It's almost karaoke. How's the how's the New Orleans comedy scene, Geneva Joy? Things are opening back up, so we're good. But there's a split. You don't know the drama? Don't get me started. Huh? I hate drama in the New Orleans comedy scene. I don't get myself involved. There's a split because the people behind the new movement opened a club downtown. And as you can imagine, half of the scene will never step foot in it. Mm-hmm. And then I shut up. <laughs> My Aunt Charlotte just said, yeah, you could kill Amazon. They'll bring you anything. All right. Let me do this next bit. <laughs> See, I don't think... You can watch YouTube. I'm going to send her this video. Keep talking. Look, practice is practice. And, you know, the people that, um, I feel like me and you, we've gone through the gauntlet. We've hung out with John Rowe. We did that whole thing. We watched him go out every single night while his life fell apart. He became the greatest comic we've ever seen. It's like his life was shambles. Okay, so I think me and you, we're a little older. We're like, okay, let me make sure my house is in order. Let me make sure that I'm spiritually, mentally, and emotionally healthy. Let me make sure that my bills are paid sometimes. There's food in the fridge. Okay, now I have the emotional energy to go out and perform to this level, right? So I kind of calibrate. I, like, pick my spots. 
Um, you know, I have a show April 1st. I want to plug in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, and uh, that's on my website, erichollybach.com calendar. But anyway, I'm really excited. I'm like really going to kill that show. So that's the one I'm really, really focused on. So every time hey, I go out, how far is San Antonio? Uh, it's come. like, I think like 70 minutes from my house. I, and obviously, Geneva, you're welcome at my house anytime. And I will be your comedy shaman here in Austin, Texas. Um, but, uh, you know, I like having friends in this industry. Like there's this people have this like scarcity model where it's like, uh, fuck these people forever. Fuck those people. Everyone associated with those people. Fuck them forever. It's like maybe you cannot be so stubborn and be more of like open to getting better at comedy instead of closing off in your little cub ball. Uh, an echo no, chamber. stubborn works well. Huh? The stubborn works. I like stubborn. All right. Well, there's a you can have you can be in an echo chamber. You know how some yes. people have emotional support animals. Sometimes you can be in an echo chamber of emotional support hacks. That's what I, I think. Know. <laughs> Have you ever? <laughs> I'm going to start naming names. Number one. Okay. So, quick rant. This is from Geneva Joy. This is from <clears throat> Andrew Healan. This is from Geneva Joy's emotional support hack. This is from Geneva Joy's Facebook wall. Quick rant. I came Stay from. Same way. No. Preferences. What? Okay, go ahead, go ahead. I thought you might go, go. I'll let you go. go. What did I say? That was so bad. Quick rant. I came from a very traditional Christian upbringing. I'm getting dressed to go to the final viewing of the most amazing drag queen I've ever known of. The family. Oh, used, I thought. You, okay, my bad. Go ahead. The family. I don't like drama. I like love. The family used an old photo, and I didn't even mention their greatness. I guess I should have expected it, but I'm really shook by it, and I'm really struggling not to strut up in there in my gold dress and platforms i know that they're struggling with it but it's not right i mean i'm really shook by it so you went to a funeral of a trans person and the family pretended that they never transitioned so they used a photograph from drag but, drag not uh, trans drag i'm sorry sorry so they used a photo that had nothing to do with what this person was passionate about in life yeah like a high school photo Stubbornness, it works really good. So, <laughs> lifetime <laughs> blockheadedness, that's what I champion. What was with this family? I mean, I guess they didn't support the person's lifestyle, but it was super sad because, like, I kind of like live and let live because of my Christian background, um, even though I have lots of gay friends and, I, and I'm supportive. Like, I'm not going to waste my energy trying to convince my uncles and them. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. As long as you don't hurt nobody, call them out their name, stay over there. That's that's how I feel. Which I didn't is, do that. Maybe. Huh? I didn't do that this podcast. No, you didn't. Okay. I didn't say you did. Oh. Um, but, like, in this case with this family, like, this person was so immensely talented. You know what I'm saying? Like, immensely talented. To like not even acknowledge it, it was just sad. Like it was just really sad. And like when I learned of it, it, it just upset me. Cause I, I won't even say that this person was my friend friend. Like we didn't hang out, we did a lot of shows together and they were very supportive of me at shows. I was very supportive of them at shows. And it was a person that I wanted to hang out with more, but then I told myself, 
they're too great. You know what I mean? So I would never call or, or come to the events or whatever. But like, without saying who it was, like this person was a a quick acquaintance away from being a household name. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. because they had everything else. They just didn't get the exposure, I guess. I don't know. But like, to like, send them off in this way, we're just like, oh, this is our son didn't do anything special besides graduate high school like the level of talent it was stupid it was real stupid it was just like i mean i'm i'm nowhere near as talented as this person was yet but it would be as kin to like if my mom did like be doing comedy and something happened to me and then y'all see my obituary and it was like oh geneva used to work at ikea the end like no i know for somebody else, like it was history. It was sad. It was sad, and I and I almost went in protest. And I did wear something with a little bit of sequins. That was your and little protest. All these people went from like crying outside the funeral home to going, yeah. To, like, yes, they were trying to figure out if I was in drag or not. Like, so they want to grieve their kid, and they for them that kid died the day they went to be a drag performer. So they wanted to remember them before the drag. <laughs> Right. I mean, but it's when like, I tell you, it's not like yeah. you know, we have a lot of drag performers in New Orleans, and you like your friends. This person was a fucking star. Yeah, like an absolute st- like, like to this day, like if a song comes on that they used to do a show to, it just I want to just fall out. Like they were, like straight people used to wander in the eyes sometimes, not realizing what happens, and they would walk right back out. The only time I've seen straight people wander in the eyes and then stay was when this performer hit the stage. Mm. Like, they transcend it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. But that's, it, it pissed me off that day. But. So, um, drug addiction, you know, it takes people out. It, it took out our, our homie, uh, John Rowe, and we saw him go from some guy with all the potential in the world to, uh, uh, dead at 26, you know? And, um, I realized something about drug addiction because I uh, have had in Austin a roommate with a severe issue in this regard, and um, it's no, they're probably finding a derelict at the moment. Um, So that's a full-time job. So um, anyway, clean this person's room. There was thirty needles. Anyway, so I realized it started with selfishness and entitlement it starts there it starts with not doing dishes and ever 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 and then it builds into just this selfishness so when i look back at john rowe he would he was a brilliant comic but in his personal life there was a selfishness like you would he would say oh take me home and then and then oh by the way we're gonna go to this white coke lady's house oh by the way we're gonna oh by the way i need this oh you don't have you know so it's like um and i think that it was a lot of trauma because his brother died and he had the survivor's guilt from this car accident where his brother died he transcended for a, a minute where he was just a shooting star that that gave love freely to everyone in the comedy scene but at the end because he wasn't taking care of his home life he was uh you know, only kind of using up friends. He was going through a lot of friends at the end because he would kind of use them for 
living on their couch, or he would use them for... I mean, Xander Forrest got him a chicken burrito for breakfast. He was drinking vodka, eating the chicken burrito, going, you only got my chicken burrito because I'm black? It's like, <laughs> how about thank you? Um, so uh, you see what I'm saying? So you kind of saw him go up and then unwind down from drug addiction, you know? I mean, I wouldn't say it's the selfishness. It's definitely trauma and self-medicating and a lot of other stuff there. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's a pain response. So, like, it's not even the selfishness. It's more of a lack of awareness, self-awareness, because you're so um, distracted or and or controlled by your pain. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 But that's something that we all have to figure out. Because, like, I know I have a lot of guilt around um, around his death because at the time he left, we were up, I was upset at him about something. So I don't remember saying goodbye. Um, I don't remember. Like, one of my last actual memories of him, which really gets me a lot, is I had went to Ghana and I came back. And at the time... Um, a few things happened while I was in Ghana, and his response to it, on top of whatever I was already mad about, maybe even more mad. So, like, I didn't bring him nothing back. I didn't bring him anything back. Plus, he doesn't really like stuff. You know what I'm saying? He's not a stuff person. So, I was at um, Bar Redux, and I remember I was giving Cal his thing or whatever, and, like, John was over corner, just looked at me, and I just looked at him and looked away. Like, that's my last memory. And I feel bad because... I was going through my transition of leaving my life and starting new and trying to follow my dreams and I was very vulnerable and nervous and I had had charismatic friends who were overbearing before so I kind of just like pushed back, pushed back and I missed the cues of how much he needed for real. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, and I, and I feel really guilty about that because you know like I'm the oldest of Young Funny. So I felt like I should have seen it and like had the, um, I don't know, had the awareness to be the big sister versus being so self-protective. Cause I mean, he, he was immensely talented and he's the one that validated me on the scene. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like my, my whole, origin story in New Orleans comedy in New Orleans comedy is based on John Rowe. So what happened was I was doing my bingo in Philly. I did that for a few years. The people were trying to like manage me and put me on shows. Well they never did. Are we getting too upset right now? Okay. Um they never did. And so then I was like, I need to move. I need to I need to shake up my life. I was getting too dormant and I couldn't sleep. And like something was like leave and I came up with the half brain scheme to come to New Orleans. So that's where I like the vacation. So I would come down for Essence, and this one time I decided to just stay longer than I would normally stay, and I had some friends who had already moved down, so I stayed with them, and I was like, well, if I'm going to start anew, let's go hard, let's really do stand-up. My, my the occasional time, I would pop up a stage in Philly, and I was staying on Spain Street, and I looked up open mics, and they, they were doing um, comic strip, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, all right. I'm going to go to a comic strip. I fly out tomorrow. I'm just going to go and see if I can, where I don't know nobody. I'm not being introduced or anything like that. And I go to comic strip. Um, I think I turned back to walk to the house like three times. 
But I go to comic strip, put my name on the list, I wait. They they bring everybody outside, and I believe at the time there was Chris Lane, there was Amanda, um, what's Amanda? You know, big Amanda, the bartender. She moved oh away. yeah, mm-hmm. Amanda Hardison. Yes, Hardison. Yeah, I can't get it out. Um, I remember meeting Byron that night, just because you know my memory's bad, and I don't remember anybody else except for they did the lineup, they said all the names, the comedians. And then everybody started to go back in, and I was just standing there because I was about to leave. I was like, you're not going to do this. Just go. Just go home and pack, right? So I started to walk away, and this boy, this boy turns to me, <laughs> and he says, you notice me, it's just for comedians, right? And I was like, yeah. He was like, oh, so you're a comic? And I was like, yeah. He was like, I'll see about that. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to stay to shut this motherfucker up. Yeah, and that's what and that was John Rowe, and so I got on stage and I did my set. I just tell this horrible joke because I'm not gonna ever gonna mention it again. I did my set. Um, Barry Schofield, not Barry Schofield. Um, shit. Um, Guys, we on two two seven. He was there. He brought me a drink. So I was like, oh my god, like Gilly from two two seven brought me a drink. I can do this. And then John comes up to me. He was like, okay, you funny. I see you around. I was like, I don't even live here. Get out of my face. And I like left. <laughs> and then I remember Byron said something nice to me when I was leaving. And that was it. Um, and then when I moved back, he recognized me. And then he started like seeing me at different shows. And then he brought me into the fold of what then became Young Funny. So like, I owe a lot to him. And it hurts that, still in hindsight, it hurts that I didn't see how much he was hurting. Because I hadn't had that type of um that level of dealing with that much drug addiction you know what i'm saying but yeah you're right you're right you're right uh right yeah i remember a time when uh puni lakmani who was getting his degree in psychiatry was like get help get help a lot of bedside manner there um so but john uh he was a lot. He was a lot to deal with because he was like, you know, even when you give him food, he's like talking shit on you the whole time. So it's like, okay, I know you're hurting, but it's also like you're just fucking rude. But I feel the same way. Like when he died, he was 26 and I was 32, and I was the one who drove him to the fucking airport, and he was staying on my couch at UNO. You, have you ever been to my UNO dorm? Anyway, whatever. But um, I was at the University of New Orleans and I was like feeding him breakfast and whatever and I drove him there and like I knew he didn't have any fucking money. I knew he didn't have any fucking friends there. I knew he didn't have and then he ended up, you know, he was like in my friend's van in LA, homeless with no money withdrawing from all of his drugs and it's just like, dude, I should not have drove him to the airport. At least he has like an assemblance of support in That's what Louisiana. our argument was about. I I took him I picked him up one night to go to the show and I had I told him I don't think he should go to LA yet. And he did not like that. And I was like, You're a big fish in a small pie and I think you need to twerk just a little like tweak just a little bit more. And like we all believed in him. We all thought like whenever he goes he's gonna do what he needs to do and he's gonna open the way for us. Like he definitely had the talent. But something in me was just telling him like not yet don't go yet and he didn't like that so like that was our that was our argument and like he had that showcase thing on vice which i think he was trying to parlay into spots around town but like 
even if you're paid regular at the comedy store, you get if you do uh, main room shows, it's fifteen dollars a set. Okay, rent is fourteen hundred dollars a month. So, like, you have to have a, a stable network. But I, I was like you. I, I thought he's gonna do it anyway. I might as well at least get him to the airport safe. Final dating perspective: Men do what they want. There is no need for a woman to try to persuade him. And wait for, God forbid, beg a man to do anything. He will do what he wants to do. For who he wants, when he wants. How does your mind work? <laughs> I just get dating perspective from uh, Geneva Joy's Facebook wall. It applies to everything. I'm intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> You're a goddamn genius. I've learned a lot from you. Um, I, you know, I, if you allow me to gloat a little bit. I've taken the IQ test a few times online, and I'm near genius. I believe it. I'll tell you I this. I fuck up that I before E shit a lot, but I'm near genius. <laughs> no, but, like, you you know how I do comedy. I have, like, my notepad. I'm like, this joke, this joke, this joke. That's how I podcast. This question, this question, this question. You have this, like, free flow. When you're hosting bingo, you're funny for two and a half hours, and I cannot do this. I don't have this skill. I need... But, like, I, I just don't, uh, I, I was always in awe watching you do that show. It's, like, the skill to, like, keep it going. And it'd be funny, have punchlines for everything, even when it's just off the cuff. I was always, like, blown away by you. It's easy to be funny when you're doing dirty jokes, though. <laughs> like, and, if I can do a clean bingo, it'd be just as funny. I'd have a lot more confidence. But without so sex like, toys? Bingo's easy. What would you give out? Beignets? A clean bingo? Random stuff. I overshop sometimes. Like, oh. <laughs> you know what I want to do? There's this place called Dirt Cheap. Because mm -hmm. I'm really into like unboxings online and hauls. Um, this place called Dirt Cheap. I think you have to go out to like Mississippi, like right that that part that's like an hour from us or whatever. Um, they have whole carts of stuff, and they're like five dollars for the whole cart of stuff. I would get one of those, and that would be <laughs> like whatever random shit. Just like yeah. a, like a little Chinese finger trap, and then like uh, a cheese grater, and just like it's a box of stuff. Or for July hat, it doesn't matter. It's stuff. <laughs> it's a free gift. People yeah. like. It. Yeah. Um, boy, the hurt piece of the John Rowe story. The horse. The the hurt piece of the drag performer that family tried to put it under the rug. You know. The hurt piece. You you want people to be celebrated for what they're best at, you know. That's why I'm so big and like when I can do for somebody's birthday, I will. Cause like people need to be celebrated. Like and people need to celebrate. This world is crazy. Like sometimes you need to just throw some glitter on some shit and forget for a second. Like that's where I that's my thing. That's my gift. Glitter and forgetness. Forgetfulness. <laughs> Forget your trauma, baby. Forget your trauma, baby. Here's a 4th of July hat. Because <laughs> I do get very sad. Like, I deal with depression quite harshly. So, like, sometimes just sandwich bars, man. That's what Martha Stewart did, too. Like, that's what Martha Stewart was all about. Like, she was going through a lot in, like, a bad marriage. Um, career fails. And she, she talks about it in her book one time where she just decided to... Um, she had wanted her husband to do something about, like, taking out a wall in her house, but they couldn't afford it or something was going on, and she just got a sledgehammer one night 
and she was like having a breakdown and was like taking this wall out and she just started in the middle of the night like breaking down this wall and then getting it fixed and then just deciding she's going to do whatever she wanted and she that's what she stopped doing what her career was and started catering and then she wrote a book even though there was nobody to buy the book like a cookbook it's just do whatever you want it's whatever <laughs> have you met chubu uh chubu you ever met chubu I could. I think. I think she came on scene when you left. We, we we're working on the thing about a sage homeless dude who's encouraged us to just do whatever. Like whatever is our new phrase. Just whatever. Eric. <laughs> I, it reminds me. I was at the gas station the other day, and this homeless guy was going. And I was like, okay. One perspective could be this is a crazy person on meth. The other perspective could be. He is a shaman, and he's going in the fabric of the time and space continuum. And like a school bus is about to go off a cliff, and then he goes, shh, shh, and then it goes back. You know what I mean? Like a bald eagle is like, can't find his nest, and he's like, shh, shh, and then it like finds his nest. You know what I mean? Like maybe he was just like, in the yeah, fabric. Like, I was, I was instantly into that. Like something's going on, and I need to see the other side. I need, yeah. I need to see him on one side. But what he's seeing seems very exciting, and I want to know what. I mean, unless it means I gotta go crazy, I don't. Yeah, like I, either he's a crazy person or he's like moving the clouds around so that the birds like find their way home. Like I, I don't know what he's doing, but I, I try not to judge anymore. That's why, like when it's like the split, there's the the these people, these comics against this comic. Now, for me, when I I had a very active rival when I was in uh, New Orleans, Andrew Polk hated me. He he bullied me on the internet all the time. He he said so that. That's what you were about to read when I when I when I clapped back on Andrew Polk that time. Yeah, about this, like making a John Rowe funeral joke. Like I I was about to rip that man in half. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. But what I what I will say was when you have the split, right, like. When, like how when you said the first time you went to comic strip, John Rowe was like, yeah, we'll see if you're funny. When I was like, I was in grad school. I, I was chasing crazy women. I had enough on my plate just to keep a roof over my head. But when he was like actively talking shit on me for from nothing, he made fun of me at high ho. I made fun of him back and he banned me for two years and then starts bullying me on the Internet. Uh, and then got, uh, you know, a podcast of mine taken down, 104. But anyway, um, uh, like he was such an active hater that it motivated me so much to be better than him. I really think like I would not have gone out every night with John Rowe if I didn't have this person in my ear saying on Facebook what a piece of shit I was every day. You know what I mean? So on one hand, I go this split of comedy house Nola versus everybody else. I understand both sides. So you do know about it. I know everything. <laughs> I was there. I went to their open mic. But, um, and I heard the drama the whole effing time. Okay? But what I will say is like... I got I to log off of this. I got to log off. There's a split, but can't there be love? Can't there be a truth and reconciliation process? With, with the one time I was in the same open mic as Andrew Polk, you know what he did? He hid behind a ping pong table the whole fucking time because he's too much of a pussy to talk to me face to face once ever. So I wonder if there's a way in which uh, there could be a truth and reconciliation process to heal. Maybe we're all we're all troubled, broken people. That's why we want adulation from comedy. But is there a way instead of a split to love? I don't know. Well, a split is a dramatic way of saying it because there's like 
nobody's not talking to other people. Like the comics are still interacting. It's just two worlds of comedy now. It's the people who will perform there and the people who won't. And like like DC Paul performs there. He's still my brother. You know what I'm saying? Like we still we still bang. Um, I think for the people who don't participate, it's all because the people, the new movement people haven't ever really made amends to the scene itself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they're not mad at the comics who are there. They're mad at the establishment right. itself. Right. And they feel like the comics who are going there... Like, I tried to explain this to one person. I was like, have the entire comedy scene been like, no, this wouldn't still be going on. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But because some people are just like, oh, well, I need to get mine time, and I need to get mine... You're fueling these people who have routinely, I'm sorry, I'm just holding on to a piece of thing. You're fueling these people who have routinely hurt people on this comedy scene. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you're fueling them. Right. When we're a stronger comedy scene than they are an entity. Right. So if the whole scene was just like, they would have been closed by now. Right. But, I mean, people are going to do what they're going to do. Like, I don't feel like, like, there are. Like, you see this. You're in a city like Austin. Austin Austin has big comedy clubs. Most of the rest of the country has big comedy clubs. If one of those entities came and for some reason was the bad guy, we would be helpless against them. But these jerks over here, no. Yeah. No, like, we had enough power to, like, phase them out. But people need to... Men do what they want to do. <laughs> uh, that's what Facebook... <laughs> Men do what they want to do. There's no need for a woman to try to persuade or wait, God forbid, beg a man to do anything. <laughs> what What's crazy for me, Geneva, is this uh, group, this um, this cabal of emotional support hacks um, were so actively hated me so fucking hard when I lived there. I moved to Jersey. I literally had, uh, I was very taken. And I'm from Jersey. So I walk into Jersey, I, I get... Boom. Everyone loves me day one. I got everyone does my podcast. Zero problems ever. Zero fucking problems ever. Um, and then I come to Austin. Everyone's so nice. I'm going to boxing. I swim in Barton Springs. I mean, I really, except for um, uh, some domestic issues, which are very, you know, I try to keep uh, uh, at bay. Certain. We can get you a new roommate. Uh, it's about to happen. I'll talk off air about that. Um, needles. 30 needles. Anyway. You know, he said to me, he goes, some of those were good and they were too small. I was like, too small. So you need, you need the bigger ones to do the big drugs? What the fuck are you talking about? But anyway. I don't even know how that works. I, I, don't, I don't get down. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was shocked and surprised how fair and open it is here in Austin, Texas. People are happy. People are friendly. And um, <laughs> I got no complaints. I got no grievances. From That's, that's like... In L.A., I had, I had really no problems except with one person, Eric Wargo. But then in uh, New Jersey, no problems. In fucking Austin, no problems. In New Orleans, it was a ton of problems all the time. And part of that, I believe, is trauma. Like, even when I went back October 25th to 28th, you know how people project their trauma onto the world around them? Have you ever heard anything like this? When I went back October 25th to 28th, I go back to UNO, it's a fucking ghost town. A lot of the roofs are still fucked up from the last hurricane that hit. 
So every time, every season, a new hurricane comes through. The people are fucking fucked up people, and then they, uh, and then they project trauma onto everybody else. They they shoot their trauma out onto other people, project it. Like I, I don't even think, like Andrew Polk, he was Facebook bullying me. I was like, let's talk in person, do my podcast. Let's, and he would not do adult. this. What? What? He was bullying as an adult. Yes. Well, I could beat the living shit out of him. But anyway, but uh, you know what I'm saying? I think that's part of the problem, too. Yeah. Nobody's whooping ass on this scene. And there's a few people that need their ass whipped. Yeah. And I, I tried, I, like, I had my own shit, and I, and I realized in hindsight, I took the high road. I Michelle, Michelle Obama these things. But, like, if I had just went up to one of them and just smacked the living daylights out of them, I think the Trump, all of it would have ended sooner. Yeah. But you can't do that. I mean, you can't do that, but you can't do that. Yeah. And some of these people... Then I give the smile, right? <laughs> <laughs> I... And it, maybe it is to it, but... Like, it was like a week before I moved out. I'm at Carrollton Station, and Andrew Heelan's nursing a, bo- uh, a beer bottle... And uh, maybe I was too. But I go, look, I'm about to move. Let's be friends. And I literally put my hand out to shake his hand. Let's just be friends. What? And he's like, why? Wait, poke or healing? Healing. Well, healing. Okay. Oh, yeah, be for both Andrews. Yeah. Well, they were. Okay. I mean, Polk was the dom and healing was the cuck sycophant, right? With, and now, one day I confused the two of them because I was like, okay, no, go ahead. Yeah, I know. Both garbage white people, but I said to Andrew Healing to his face, Healing like, wasn't that bad." I he go, "Let's be bad. friends. Let's squash this. Let's uh, sip in a bottle. Sip in a bottle. Let's be friendly." No, what's the point of that? Okay, dude. So it's like when it, it's like now you're my fucking enemy. Okay, I try to like a I try to take the high road. Take the high road. No smacks. Take the high road. Oh, what's the point Just of that? Just feet. <laughs> <laughs> So easy. Oh my god. Sweep the feet, Eric. Sweep the feet. Dude, I trained this girl to beat the shit out of an old man and, and as she was punching him and he couldn't do anything, I was like I had tears in my eyes. I was so proud. Will you teach me how to box when sure. I can? Sure. You come to Austin, I'll take you to Ricky Lloyd's boxing gym. One thousand percent. All I know is Tybo. Tybo. <laughs> I've never consciously hit anybody. Uh, no, we'll, we'll train. I'll keep it the safe. The key word is consciously hit any, somebody. There's been times in my life where I've blacked out and I've hurt people. So I try not to get <laughs> What do you mean? Like, apparently when I was a little girl, like, if you did anything I didn't like, I would just attack you. And my mom got that out of me by the time I got to school. But, um, so like, as a school-age girl, if somebody was, like, bothering me or was mad at me or I didn't like them, I would try to avoid the fight. I would go really hard to avoid the fight because my mom stopped me from just like clawing on people. Um, but there were several times like in elementary school where I would just like black out. And then by the time I'm aware, like somebody's like holding me down and the other person is like. <laughs> so like I realized like by the time I was going into middle school, I was like, just don't fight people. Don't let people get you that angry. Like I would walk away. I wouldn't. So, like, I never consciously was like, I'm punch you in the face. But mm. there's been times when I just was like, <laughs> like, punch somebody in the face in a daze. So, like, that's, I want to be able, not that I want to hurt people, but I do want to be able to be like, no, this is, this is my, and then just. 
I want to. I want to do that. It's really, that's really. That's it's scary. it's really helped me. No, like you, you're what you're saying is absolutely true. Like you just master your anger. You master because it's like. <laughs> this uh, this guy was talking shit at me at, at just a gas station for no reason. I was like, okay, okay. I was comfortable. I, I'm not. I'm not scared. You know what I mean. And the old me would have freaked out. But now I'm like, I, I train every day boxing, so I'm not worried. You know what I mean. So it it, it master. I master my anger. I master <laughs> my body. You know. You master like distance. How far someone is from you, how much of a th you can gauge the threat level very clearly. You know what I mean? It's it's totally changed my life. I just feel like if I don't learn how to tap into it when it's right, then I might have another burst of a moment. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. And as an adult, that's not okay. No, yeah, and that's to me, it's such a functional workout because not only are you actually working out, but it's like this can really help you in a in a situation if someone's being you know, really crazy, knocking on my door on meth at five in the morning. Like, I, uh, true story. I can, I'm uh, laughing because you're, you're saying how boxing is a functional workout, so I'm just imagining using other workouts as a form of self-defense. <laughs> like, what, dude? Huh? What? <laughs> you start, like, doing jumping jacks. <laughs> but you like, pose. Yeah. You don't want this. Doing yoga. <laughs> it's also funny because you see people come in with all this bluster and bravado all the time and then they do sit-ups with ricky lord and they can't handle it they melt down it's like they're like the tough guy on the street but like this 68 year old man could do run circles around everybody there so it's like i love being there i, I really do He's such One a of my life models growing yeah. up at part of the hip hop generation is punch jump up to get beat down. Like, <laughs> I feel like they should teach that in schools. Like, that's a, a word to live by. Like, punch jump up to get beat down. Like, don't don't pop up if you ain't got it. Yeah. You'll learn, you learn the hard way. Because you might just, like, Geneva might black out in front of you and just start swinging hammers, you know? I mean, that's why I don't go with people with dumb shit. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Geneva. <laughs> you are a credit to the community, Geneva Joy. I get. Thank you. Everyone who I'm like, I drop your name all the time, and people go, I've never heard, whoa, look at the, oh, whoa, 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 what's going on? I'm just going to hold them up because I got them the wrong bro. Yeah, keep talking. Keep talking. I'm great, and. <laughs> Every time someone says something nice about you, I go, exactly, exactly. She's so sweet. And I think we're both the same because, like, you know, we have depressive bouts. We go in. But to heal ourselves, when we feel bad in, we go out and help, you know? That's what I'm really saying. Uh, if, you. if you need help, if you have pain in your life, you can get CBD oil. A CBD remedy. Use promo code Eric. That's E R I C for twenty percent off your order. Um, again, San Antonio, Friday, April first, ten p.m. Details on EricHollerbach.com. Geneva. How can people find you on the social networks? Any shows coming up? Yes, I'm Geneva Joy on all social media. I'll be on the Five Hundred Four Ever Show um, on Valentine's Day at Cafe Istanbul. I will also be on the, uh-oh, on the 16th, I'll be in Florida with Corey Mack. You're going to go, like, back and edit it in, and, like, 
put the flyer up or something, you can do that? Uh, I can put that in the show notes. Okay, all right, boom. And then, <laughs> and now I have my own monthly show at the Ace Hotel because of Mardi Gras. There won't be a February show, but the last Thursday in March is Geneva Joy's Comedy Celebration, where we celebrate something randomly with theme jokes. You know how much I love costumes. So I think the March show is going to be spring because we're so sick of whatever this has been. So at the Ace Hotel. So we start at 8 o'clock with like party games. And then 9 o'clock the show starts. Just throw some glitter on it. Throw some glitter on it. Uh, Geneva Joy, she throws glitter went, uh, on her friends all the time. And she makes the emotional health of the comics around her, who are all crazy, much better. I'm a... Better person. <laughs> I'm a better person because Geneva Joy's in my life and in my phone, and I call her sometimes on sad times. Hello. Needed that a few days ago. Thank you. This has been Highway Diary, episode three. Three, three. One of my best friends in the world, Geneva Joy Hughes. Freeze. Bye. Recording stopped. <laughs>